met a young man through a mutual, actually it was through Ron Stiles that I made his acquaintance, but uh, I met a young man, Joshua Yoakum, through social media, and Ron had shared a video of this young guy who was on the streets of Kansas City, and uh, he was just taking the love of Christ and sharing it with anybody who would listen to him and passing out Bibles and feeding the homeless and clothing the homeless and doing all these incredible things, 26-year-old young man. And God, my heart was just drawn to him. And so we made a connection initially through social media. I reached out to him. And then that led to um, some text messages back and forth, which has developed into a pretty neat relationship. I had the honor of going and visiting Josh and his wife Amy and their two little boys in Kansas City a few months ago. And uh, since then, I think we talk on the phone at least a couple times a week, and, and uh, there's some communication or connection day, on a daily basis, and I've just come to really appreciate what God has done and is doing in his life, and, and I thought, man, I really would like for as many people as possible to meet this young guy. And so uh, Laura and I just had invited Josh and Amy to come hang out with us this weekend. And in their coming, um, I don't know if I told them we were going to do this before a couple of days ago or not, but just thought, we're going to hijack the service, and I want you to be able to hear from him. So I'm going to invite Josh to come. And as he comes, would you just make him feel welcome to Connecting Point today? Uh, thank you. Thank you, guys. Um, it's, it's really an honor to be up here and, um, you know, to consider your pastor as one of my good friends. Um, let, let's acknowledge him real quick and everything he does. A lot of the times, just like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I told him 20 bucks to say anything nice about me. So, no. No, but, but seriously, just like um, faith and love, the role of a pastor is usually um, overanalyzed and underestimated, and, and what he does, he does well, and, and I know he does it humbly, and I know that, that he has a heart for all of you, and he takes joy in it, and uh, it's just, like I said, it's just a blessing to consider you one of my friends. And well, thank you. The, the feeling is mutual, and so, and I'll pay you the rest later. Cool. But. cool. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I just wanted Josh to have an opportunity to share a little bit of his story with you. In the past several months, I've had the opportunity to just hear bits and pieces of it along the way and kind of get a snapshot of what God has done in his life and what God is doing in his life. And, and I just thought it would be a, uh, really powerful for you to be able to share that today. And um, let's just, first of all, um, I, I talk, when I was talking with Ron about them coming and I mentioned that you were going to be here, he went on and on about this young guy, about how that God is just at work in his life. And he told me, he said, that he said, by my recollection, that in the past, I don't know how many months, that this young guy by himself has given away over 500 Bibles to people. And so, uh, yeah. And in fact, and, it, and this is no joke, I mean, this is part of his life, and, and I know, I, 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 he, Josh is a modest guy, and you'll probably hear him several times say, I don't want to boast, I don't want to boast. And um, I wanna, All glory to God. Yeah, so if we boast anything, we boast in the Lord, that's what the Bible says. But this, this even the, yesterday, they came in yesterday, and I want you to just tell, because this is kind of an example of how God's working through your life. Um, you and Amy stopped at a gas station, and... 
just tell you had an encounter there with uh, a couple and just kind of tell how that played out. All right, so, um, um, and I just, I like to keep it real and, and I like to be vulnerable because that's where, that's where you'll see Jesus. And uh, one of the things I'm still trying to shake is my nicotine addiction, smoking cigarettes. And, and I, was, I was roughing the day out. I, was, I wasn't going to buy any, but I decided to stop off and uh, grab a pack of cigarettes. But while I was there, um, I'm coming out of the, the gas station and this lady is just blaring rap music. She's driving a, a Tahoe. And um, there were two kids in the back, uh, like seven and four years old. And um, as I walked out, I saw the seven-year-old, and she's just cheesing, she's smiling out of the window. And um, man, I was just so drawn. Even with the rap music blaring, I was just so drawn. I was, I was led to, man, I got to go talk to him. And and I keep I keep these Bibles with me, the the Nathan Project Bibles. Um, and I was just led to go ask if I could give the kid a Bible. And um, this lady. Uh, she was real honest and open and vulnerable, and she, um, you know, I, I don't want to say too much about everything, but, but for, for, we'll just keep it short and simple. She, she said she didn't have any faith. She let go of her faith. She quit believing in God. She had just experienced a, a death of a very close friend, um, some trauma with, with different baby daddies and the kids and stuff, and, um, you know, she, uh, she allowed me to pray with her, and, 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 you know, before I could even, you know, start talking and sharing anything from my life and, and that Jesus loves her, um, I had to be sensitive to everything she was saying. I had to shut up and, and listen to what she was saying, and um, I've heard it from Greg Rochelle. He says, um, before people um, care what you know, they have to know that you care, and so um, you just, sometimes you got to shut up and listen. <laughs> and, and for me, that's a, that's a little difficult. The Holy Spirit definitely leads me through that because I, I love talking. Um, but I, I just let her get that stuff off her chest. And um, after she did, you know, I, I let her know, hey, I don't mean to make light of your situation, but um, I can relate to a lot of what, what you're going through. I've been there, but the Lord redeemed me from that. And if, if you'll allow him, he'll give you your faith back. And, and I was able to just minister to him and, and take the time out of, out of our day, you know, to um, get get these Bibles in those kids' hands, and then to be able to pray with her, and, and everyone in the car said amen but her, but I know, I just fully believe that that, that prayer and, and the words that the Lord used to speak through me, are, they're still resonating with her right now, um, and, you know, anymore, like like you said, um, that's my life. Uh, yeah. So this morning, mm -hmm. you went to McDonald's, ran through the drive-thru to grab something, and in the drive-through? Um, same thing um, at both windows. Um, you know, I ask, uh, so, you know, sometimes um, the Lord really has to lead me through that approach, um, but drive-through windows have been the most receptive um, people that accept these Bibles. Um, and, and I just asked the kid, he was, he was a younger kid, maybe a little younger than me, and I asked him, I said, hey, can I offer you a Bible? And he was like, you know, and I'm like, well, um, just please let me give this to you because I don't know if you go to church, I don't know where your faith is at, but I've gotten into these Bibles by myself and come to know God and his true character. And once I was able to do that, I, I found out who I was in Christ. And here, let me give this to you, and, and you can do the same thing. And he was like, oh, I need that. He was very receptive, and then, you know, pulled up to the next window, and it was an older Hispanic lady, and, and she didn't say much, but she took it, and, you know, she... She grabbed it like that. Yeah. You know, so, uh, That's awesome. You know, the Bible talks about when we 
we cast the bread on the water that it's not going to come back void, it'll return to us. And so you plant those seeds and you have no idea, and it's, it's really that simple. But um, let's, I want to back up a little bit because your story is really powerful. And you mentioned, you're, you're, I, I told everybody last week, I mean, you're the real deal, uh, raw, and you're just trying to figure out how to walk this life that Jesus is, is leading you on. But he's done some pretty amazing things and brought you a long way. Um, why, don't, why don't you just talk a little bit, you were sharing yesterday about you grew up in a pretty rough area of Kansas City, and uh, maybe just give us a little bit, a snapshot of kind of what life was like growing up for you. Okay. Um, you know, so, so I, come from, <clears throat> I come from a religious background, um, and when I say religious, I mean man-made tradition and manipulative gain and everything that Jesus was against whenever he walked the earth. Um, and I don't say that to dishonor my family or, or anything, but I'm, I'm just being real. Um, you know, the Bible says that the, the wages of sin are death, and my dad was a minister, but he's dead right now. You know, he died when I was 13, and so um, every, every, every word in here is so true, you know. Um, but my parents loved the Lord. They just didn't, they didn't have a very good understanding or intimate relationship with him. It was definitely a... Um, Let's go get dressed up on Sunday and, and go look perfect. And then the rest of the week, we're back to, you know, cussing, smoking, drinking, all that stuff. And, um, you know, so that, that caused a very distorted image of God in my life. And, and it took quite a while. And, and um, it's been a process for me to really come to understand him. But, but um, you mind if I give an example? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I can remember being... It was the, the summer between fifth and sixth grade, and um, my dad would, uh, it might sound crazy, but my dad would read the Bible while he was pooping. He took some really long poops, <laughs> and, and he, would, he would invite us, uh, me and my brothers in there, and, um, <laughs> and, he'd, and he'd read the Bible to us, um, but I can, I, can, I can remember that summer between fifth and sixth grade, my dad, um, he gave my older brother, he was, he was, you know, just a year older than me, gave him a bag of weed and said, here, roll up a joint, um, while he's reading us the Bible, and then my brother rolled it, and my dad backhanded him and said, you idiot, who told you to roll it that fast, you know, and so from a, from a very young age, we, uh, we had some exposure, um, but both good and bad, um, but because of that bad being, being so prevalent, it caused a very distorted image of who I thought God was and, and what I thought a pastor was supposed to be and stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, and because of that environment, then, um, you know, we, we talked about this yesterday. I have a good friend who uh, grew up on the, on the streets and said, you know, what do you, uh, you can't go another way if you don't know another way. And so, you know, you, you go the direction that you're taught and what you know, but then that led you to, at a young age, getting involved in using drugs. And yeah. how old were you when you first started using? Um, first time I had ever um, smoked weed, I was probably about six years old. Uh, an older brother um, was babysitting me, and he had already been exposed to that street life and drug life and stealing cars and all that. Um, he was babysitting me, and... We walked a couple blocks over. He, he went into this girl's house to do whatever, you know. Um, but he had smoked a joint with me, so I'd just sit there and chill and not go anywhere and stuff. Um, but then I'd have to say about fifth grade is whenever I started smoking weed, like, like every day on a, on a consistent basis. And not to dishonor my parents or anything, but there was just a, 
a lack of supervision yeah. that, that led to a lot of that. And um, just being, you know, with my dad dying that young and then the neighborhood I grew up in, um, I had a lot of male influences that, you know, I don't even blame them. They, they, they did what they knew and they did it well, you know, and I just got, got exposed um, very quickly and then that those seeds just started started taking root and forming the person that, uh, that it became. Yeah, and so that, that early started with marijuana, but eventually blew into a full-blown meth addiction, right? Right, right. You? Um, so, and, and even as a kid, I've always had, well, I should say I used to have as a kid um, kind of a mellow and loving spirit, um, but then the world, it'll, it'll take that from you. It'll, it'll rob you, it'll rob that from you, you know? And um, so I, I went through you know, from, from then through high school, being a decent person, um, definitely didn't know the Lord, definitely wasn't compassionate, um, you know, just living life like the world does, um, and straight out of high school, um, I had this chick pregnant, um, and straight out of high school, she gave birth to the baby, but he didn't have a heartbeat, and, um, man, I just, uh, at the time, meth got introduced to my family, and, man, I just took that, and I ran with it, I used it to, to cope, to well, to not cope, to not deal with that reality, yeah. and um, you know that just led me, you know, deeper into darkness. And um, it wasn't long. I was shooting, I was shooting dope and stealing cars, and just pretty much doing what I knew to do. You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah we were talking yesterday. Well, first of all, um, you know that that's one of the things that that Jesus comes to bear our burdens and without Jesus, if we don't have a proper view of him or if the view of, that we have of him is distorted because of what we've been taught, um, you know, then the tendency is to look for other things to fill the void and help numb the pain. And I hear, hear, hear that's what kind of took place in your life. And you mentioned yesterday that, and you just alluded to this a few minutes ago, that um, you know, your, your parents had divorced, and so you kind of had a lack of male role model in your life for a period of time. And um, so is, is that kind of what drawn you, drew you into becoming involved in a gang at that point in time? Yeah, that was, that was one of the, the major um, influences I had was, like, my, my sister's older boyfriends, uh, my uncles and stuff. And, you know, they, they sold drugs. They, they did it well. Um, and that's, that's, the, that's the role model I had to look up to. Yeah. Uh, and of course, of course, there were, there were choices. Those were my choices. Uh, you know, I, I accept responsibility for that, but that was just the norm, yeah. you know, and, and if there was another way, I didn't really know about it. I had a lot of teachers that would try to pour life into me and tell me I was different, but they were telling me that at school, you know, I'd go home and then they could just experience. I can, I can remember being, you know, 11, 12 years old. And, and again, mom, if you see this, I'm not trying to dishonor you, but you know, she, she, she was lost as well, you know, and, and she had an idea of Jesus, and, and she was a minister as well, but I can remember being 11, 12 years old, and as I'm doing the dishes, there's, you know, 20, 30 pounds of marijuana being divvied up and money counted right there on the kitchen table and stuff, you know, and that was just, that was just normal. Yeah. That was normal for us. Yeah. That was just normal life at that time. And so, obviously, you know, we, we know that, um, leading a lifestyle with that will then lead to encounters with the law. And so if that was your experience, how old were you when you first uh, had your first encounter with law enforcement? 
I actually got my first felony at 12. First felony yeah. at 12. Yeah. Okay. Um, some, me and some buddies, we were throwing some rocks off of, uh, off of overpass and hitting cars and stuff. And um, just an, another situation where there was a lack of supervision. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that was at 12. Then I stayed out of trouble for, for a while. And then at 17, um, still, still doesn't make sense to me at the time. I, uh, I was working a job at Go Chicken Go and everything, but um, a buddy invited me to go break into this house and we started taking some stuff out of that. But, it, but we thought it was abandoned and it was like uh, multiple days in a row. And then um, the neighbor ended up catching us and held us there at gunpoint. And um, I was 17 then. But I thank God for that because that's whenever I first ran into these Nathan Project Bibles in JDC. Yeah. So, um, I yeah. didn't take I didn't get to take it home or anything, but that was the first time I came across it and kind of fell in love with them. Yeah. So one of the things you'll hear next week is one of the ministries that Ron has is that I think every facility in the state of Kansas has the Nathan Project Bibles, and uh, that is spread to other. Uh, states and and actually uh, other countries and so that's one of the things that that this ministry does is make sure that and the cool thing about this bible and i think you could probably speak to this is that it's a new testament uh student bible and so a lot of places um will have um you know we thank god for the ministry of the gideons and but they typically put in a king james version bible and so if you've had no exposure at all and you're reading a language that you know thee thou it's thus boring. it's like yeah it's what does it it's yeah. a foreign language hold that hold that it's picture. a foreign language when you're reading king james yeah 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 so let, let, let's talk about that. I, I, I want to say this, Josh. I, I appreciate, number one, um, your vulnerability, that you're willing to kind of share your story with us. And we've talked a lot about that. The, the amazing thing about God is that only God can take the very things that we would think disqualify us from being in relationship with him and disqualify us from ministry. He'll take those things and turn it on its head and use it in, a, in an incredible way. And, and we're seeing this happen in Josh's life, like in real time. Um, so I, I appreciate you being willing to be vulnerable because, you know, God, we talked about this this morning, that God never wastes a hurt, that we might... But God will never waste a hurt, and he will take even the most painful, embarrassing, difficult situations in our lives, and he will take those, and he will use them when we surrender to them, and so our greatest defeat becomes our greatest victory. And so I appreciate you being willing to share that with us. But let's talk a little bit about, um, you had an encounter with Jesus in prison, so that became a good thing. But why don't you tell us a little bit about how you, you, you grew up with an idea of um, maybe what religion was but not, and believe in, in God, but not really knowing the person of God. So what happened when you were in uh, Norton? All right, so um, that was, that was my, la my last trip to prison, and... Um, I met a, na a man named Alex Ayers, and he was doing about like a 15 or 16 year bid for, um, he didn't remember, he got drunk, took some Xanax, and woke up in booking and asked what his charges were, and he shot a cop. And um, doing about 16 years, I had met him like 10 years into that 16 year sentence. And um, I, I went down to I hadn't been there that long. I went down to the property room. He was just getting there, and I thought, you know, he had tattoos. He was a, he was a white guy from Kansas City, and I, I'll go up, shake his hand, like, what's up, homie? What's up? What type of time are you on? And, and uh, man, this man spoke the word from the jump. You know, he, he had the word so abundant in him that 
that's the way, not, not only that he spoke, but he carried himself. He had a, just that, that aroma of Christ coming out of him, and it didn't matter if it was a, an inmate or a guard. It didn't matter. He, he treated everyone just like Jesus would, and he would listen, and, and he'd be patient, and he'd be, his job was a, a porter. He cleaned the pods. He picked up after everybody, and he did that with a smile on his face. And experiencing that, I, I knew I knew I had met Jesus through him, and I just, I wanted it. I really yeah. wanted that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry. Josh and I, we've discovered that we have this kinship in that we both are crybabies. And so that's all right, you know. I'm trying to hold it together. That's, yeah. So, and Amy makes fun of both of us for crying. So I told her yesterday, I said, you can make fun of your husband. You better not make fun of me for crying. Because there were lots of tears that were shed yesterday as we were talking. But, man, isn't it cool? You know, we, we read through Scripture, and uh, Paul was a murderer. And he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and his entire life was transformed, and he became the most influential uh, human figure in the history of the church. And uh, God can take, and he can, I'm it's just so encouraging to know that God is at work, you know, prison bars can't keep God out. And so uh, to, to know that here's this guy who his life is transformed and now he's really serving as a missionary within the prison. And I think what's interesting is, is that, um, and, and this is what we do, <laughs> this is what we do, is we look at other people and we interpret who God is through other people. And so you were seeing some people who were talking about God and, you know, maybe they didn't know another way, but yet you, you, uh, it caused you to question, you know, this whole thing about is it real? It certainly didn't draw you to the personhood of Jesus. And then you see another person who really has embraced who Jesus is and is living that out. And that becomes, I love the, we talked about that yesterday, but the phrase that you used, because Paul talks about that we are the aroma of Christ. That, that when, because the Holy Spirit lives in us and Christ is in us and we're called to be like him, that when we come around people, they may not even understand what it is, but there ought to be something attractive about us. There ought to be something, and that's what I'm hearing you say, is there's something about this guy that's like, I'm drawn to him. There's, we are all inevitably drawn to goodness. We are all inevitably drawn to genuine love. And so when all of us experience, and we all have our own stories, uh, that, that those of us who have made that decision and come to Christ, we could all point uh, to key people who represented Christ well that ministered to us and helped us see him for who he is. And so that's really cool that that, that happened. So you spent, so you spent time uh, in, in prison and then uh, were released and uh, tell us, kind of tell us about, so I always tell people, whenever you tell your, your testimony, there's kind of three moves in it. It's kind of, this is what life was before I met Jesus. This is kind of how I encountered Jesus. And now here's what he's doing in my life now. And so let's, let's kind of make that move because you have some really miracle stories in the life of your family. And uh, tell a little bit about kind of once you got released, um, let's, let's talk first of all, is that you encountered Jesus and he began changing your life. Tell us about kind of how he helped you deli be delivered from a meth addiction because that's a monster. Yeah. That's a monster. Um, well, well, God gets all the glory first and foremost. Yeah. Um, and, and I really, 
I was only locked up four months that time, um, but I spent time with Alex getting into the Word, and, and, you know, like Romans 12 says, renewing your mind or changing the way you think, you know, um, and that's, that's, that was the, like a big key, and then also, um, I like to say it like this, my wife, I, she, we, we were just barely dating at the time, but God knew exactly what I needed, and she's like the most evident and clear example of God's grace and mercy in my life. I had I had something to come home to. I had um, a purpose at that point, which I never had before. Yeah. Um, you know, coming from a broken home or leaving being incarcerated and not having a home to come to, um, just ended up getting right back in the cycle and doing it again. Um, but this go around, I had I had met my wife and and she's my rock. <laughs> she's my rock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And Amy is awesome. Her and Laura are kindred spirits in that um, there's an evil look that comes out of them if ever there's the thought that they're going to be pulled up into a setting like this in front of people. So, um, but, but, yeah, we're thankful Amy is, is solid and uh, God blessed you with her. And so that is a, a great blessing. And, and um, some of the stuff she was sharing yesterday, some of the stuff was new for her that she was, you guys had just kind of started dating. And she was at the house when, like, the ATF kicked the door in and raided the home you're in. So, yeah, her, her dad yeah. wasn't too happy about that. Yeah. But um, <laughs> Not a great impression on dad, <laughs> no, right? Yeah. No, and, uh, but she, even, even with that, um, you know, she, she had to see something in me that I didn't know I had in me. And, yeah. um she rode that little prison, it was only four months, she rode that prison bit out with me, and um, we started to, I started to share um, the Jesus that I'd come to know through Alex, I started to share that with her over the phone and through letters, and man, she wrote it out with me, um, and. Because she had, she had not made a decision for Christ yet, and mm -hmm. until after you did, right? Right, yeah. right, and it's just, it's, it's mind-blowing, it really, uh, to go from when she met me, I was still, you know, carrying a gun, selling dope, you know, getting high, doing all that stuff, um, to I get out of prison and I'm like on fire for the Lord. I didn't want to do nothing else. Um, I wanted to be at church as much as possible. Um, and she, she made that switch with me um, with no resistance, with no, she didn't put up a fight. She was like, all right, that's what you want to do. We're going to do it. And, yeah. um, man, we started getting plugged into um, a church that I had went to, um, as a kid, and um, we would go pick up our niece um, and go go down there, down in Ottawa, Kansas, and um, it was funny, the first time they did an altar call, it was a couple services in, but they, they did an altar call, and, um, you know, we gave our life to the Lord, um, but as, and she, she'd never been to church maybe but two times or something, um, and she's never really been a, like, physical, affectionate person, and so whenever... They did the altar call, and we're down in front on our knees. Um, the pastors come up to put their hands on her, and you could see her go, like, what, what, the, <laughs> what, the, what are you guys doing, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, man, just it's so awesome to, to have her grow along the way with me. Um, God knew what I needed. Yeah, that's awesome. I so I, I want to ask a couple questions, and, and then we'll, we'll get to the point of wrapping it up. But um, one is, so you get out of out of prison, and I know uh, we don't have to go completely into this because I think you've, you've touched on it well, is that obviously there's a whole lot of work that God begins to do in your life and begins to address. We talked about yesterday, 
You know, God is, God is so kind um, that, and, and my personal experience has been the same, is that rather than, you know, when we come to Jesus, him saying, okay, here's all the things that's wrong with you that need to change, that'll overwhelm us like crazy and discourage us. And Josh and I both talk about our experience has been that in trying to pursue Jesus, that there'll be an issue that all of a sudden that Jesus will bring to the surface and say, what are we going to do about this? You know, whether it's an attitude or a habit or an addiction or whatever. And there's a period of wrestling time. And sometimes, you know, we wrestle maybe for a few hours and sometimes it's months. And we wrestle with it and then give it to Jesus and surrender it. And then he begins to help us and equip us to do what we can't do by ourselves. So around here, we, we talk about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. That's kind of what we're talking about, is that we just love Jesus so much that we want to follow him and do what he wants us to do, and we know we're not capable of doing it. Paul talks about this. He says, oh, my goodness, why is it all the things that I want to do I can't do, and all the things I don't want to do, those are the things I seem to do. What a wretched man am I? And then he goes on and says, oh, but there's the power of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we know that the Spirit helps us in that. So I know you went through that process. But I guess I'm curious, from the very beginning, it seems like, and especially of late, you made the determination that you weren't just going to give your life to Jesus, do the Sunday morning church thing, and then just kind of live life. But, I mean, whether it's McDonald's or the gas station or Walmart or wherever, you're living this out. What is it that drove you to do that? Um. I guess, I guess kind of like how the word says, um, man, he just, he's forgiven me for a lot, you know, and, and he's really, um, like Jeremiah 29 says, he gave me a future and a hope, and what kind of people would we be, how are we any better than the religious leaders and, and stuff from back in the day if we are to hold that and, and not do anything with that? You know, what kind of person are you? Um, the Bible says that, uh, you know, even, even sinners, they uh, look out for those that they love and, and stuff like that. But I just, for me, it, coming to know Jesus, the true Jesus, and, and coming to know that it's not some abstract being in the sky, but that it's an intimate relationship and it's a falling in love. Um, I can't hold that in me. Everyone needs to hear that. Everyone needs to experience that because the Bible says that um, only God offers that peace that surpasses all human understanding. And I just, everyone needs to have that. Anyone that'll listen, they need to have that. And so I've just determined to, um, not everybody wants to listen to you. But like you said, some people are, a lot of people, we're, we're attracted to goodness. And so what, I, what I've learned to do is let, let my, my life preach the gospel everywhere I go. And I use words when necessary. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because um, a lot of people, you know, you can, you can, you can talk too much, and then people start running. Um, and so, so what I've learned to do is just be be genuine and be real, and 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 that vulnerability, uh, man, people are attracted to that. Yeah. Because to hear to hear someone else say that they're going through the same thing that you are, or possibly even worse, and that they want they want relief and they want peace, uh, man, I found so much grow through that and so much encouragement by, you know, we, I go to, a, I attend a lot of small Bible study groups, um, and that vulnerability in those groups have, have really opened, opened my, the eyes to my heart to see that I'm not the only one going through this, I'm not the only one seeking peace, but together we can come to the Lord and, and 
man, just, just pretty much, like I said, preach the gospel everywhere we go yeah. and use words when necessary. Yeah, you know? Thanks. You know, the Bible talks about, when you were talking about that, I thought, you know, the Bible says that to whom much is given, much is required. And I think when we've been given a lot of something, we understand the value of it and want to give it away. So those who have been forgiven much, typically forgive, forgive much. much yeah. Those who have received much grace, typically yeah. give much grace. And, uh, you know, you're living that out. And, and uh, Josh, I shared a few weeks ago, I mean, him and Amy are hosting uh, Bible studies and whether it's meeting in the park and just inviting, hey, whoever wants to come in the park and join us, we're going to open the Word of God and have a Bible study and, and people that you used to run with are showing up or whether it's uh, now there's a little Baptist church that's letting you use a room and so you guys are meeting and having a Bible study with young couples there and so just just trying to share what you've been given to other people. Um, I, wanna, I don't want to run out of time before we talk about... Um, you guys had an incredible miracle. You, you have, um, both of your children are miracles. Um, but but Jalen, your oldest son, really, you have a miracle story. Would you mind sharing that with us, kind of what God has done and yeah, is still I, doing? I'd, I'd love to. That's, uh, that, that situation there definitely um, boldened our faith even more. Uh, you know, I, we got pregnant right out of prison, believe it or not. And um, um, I started attending... Faith Builders International in DeSoto, Kansas, and they have a, a two-year Bible college, and I was only eight months into it. Um, Jalen was born a couple weeks early, and um, at that Bible college, they, you know, they do a very thorough job of teaching you the fundamentals of faith and the character of God and, you know, your rights as a tither and all that stuff, um, and, and so I had, we had a good, strong foundation of faith, but it was still head knowledge. Then Jalen was born, and um, he was born with CHD, um, the right side of his heart never developed. Um, and about, what was it, about a week, Amy, into him being born, uh, you know, he was in the NICU at Children's Mercy, and a group of like 12 um, doctors and surgeons and the palliative team, the people who prepare you for death, um, they sat us down and they said, hey, your, your son's heart is no good and that some families at this point take the baby home and spend time with them before, um, before they die, uh, or you can put them on the heart transplant list and see what happens. And, um, you know, kind of got in the flesh. You, know, you idiots, act like it's your kid, you know. <laughs> what do you mean? Put them on that list. But um, called my pastor right away, um, and it shook him for a little bit. He had to call me back, but him and his wife were in prayer. They called back and said, hey, those doctors can't tell you what to hope or believe. They're only telling you what they know from science and from experience, but the, the word of God is the truth that trumps all facts and will change any reality in any situation. And um, so they prayed with us, and we asked God that one time for Jalen's healing. From then on, we just thanked him. We'd go up there. You know, I, I was still working. Um, fortunately, we lived close to Children's Mercy, so I was still able to go to work and stuff. Amy was up there a couple times a day, all day. Um, but we would just stay up there. We'd play praise and worship. We'd speak life over him, um, confess that by Jesus' stripes he's healed. And, you know, he bore our iniquities and, and pain and sickness on the cross. And, and we just stood on those verses. And um, it took about four and a half months before we saw any change. Um, he was even having heart attacks in, in front of us. Um, you know, we'd be singing praise and worship, and he, he machines start going off and stuff. My father-in-law was there one time. And... 
scared the poop out of him. Um, the, 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 the machine started going off, and the nurse was like, oh, my gosh, I, I need to break this kid's ribs and give him a shot of morphine. I don't know what to do, you know. So it was, uh, it, it took being grounded in faith. It really did, because there was still, the situation didn't look hopeful. And there's many situations that we'll go through in life that don't look hopeful, but if you can stay in faith and you can stay in the word like we did, um, God can move through that. And so about four and a half months, he's about four and a half months, um, the same group of doctors that sat us down, they pulled us back in again. And uh, the guy who was talking, I don't think he was a believer, he was um, um, Indian, uh, like from overseas, you know, and he kind of, it seemed grudgingly, he said, oh, we don't know what happened, this, you know, this isn't even impossible. And, uh, but we knew what happened, you know, yeah, the, the, the word works, God still works miracles. Um, and so... They're like, hey, his heart got stronger. His coronary arteries opened up. We've never seen this happen, um, but we can operate on your son's heart, and he'll be able to come home with you guys. And so had open heart surgery. Uh, he'll have another one this summer, and we're still in faith about it. And, uh, man, he's just a miracle. Um, you would never. Uh, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's cool. Yep. That's, After the service. That's him there, praise yeah. God. And yeah. these, these little kids, I see pictures all the time of them. Josh and Amy are teaching them how to praise Jesus at an early age. So I see pictures all the time of these two little boys with their hands lifted up, just worshiping. That's and, their normal. Yeah, that's their. So we were talking yesterday. This is so cool because um, generational things happen in our lives that we become the product of those who have come before us. Uh, but we're not bound to that. Amen. And Amen. so Josh has a history. I was sharing with him my dad's story. My dad had a, a family history of a long history of alcoholism in their family. And the thing that they share in common is that both of them get to be the individual where God breaks that generationally in their family. So his kids are never going to experience the things that you experienced as a kid. They're just totally being raised in a different environment. And it's amazing how that, uh, how that God has worked with that. So you'll, if you're around afterwards, you may see Jalen out in the lobby, and you'll never know that he has a heart problem at all. I think it beats three times as fast as a normal person because the kid's got energy for, for miles. I want, to, I want you to give you an opportunity to tell one more story because I think this totally encapsulates everything that God has done in your life. So I'm going to set it up for you. Uh, but I saw on Facebook a post by somebody else who had shared it on your page that talked about how that they were driving down the street and saw this guy out at a stop sign and the immediate thought was that, okay, this is a, a gangbanger tagging the sign doing graffiti, which is something that you used to do, used to do a same, lot. Same neighborhood, same hold, neighborhood. That, hold that up there so everybody can. Um, I used to, it was actually, I was removing a tagging that I did about seven years ago. Yeah. yeah. So you would actually tag that sign. Tell, tell what happened, because I think this totally encapsulates. So you weren't tagging the sign, just no, to, no. what were you doing? Um, I, I was actually cleaning it off with some graf uh, graffiti removal. Um, Bear with me for a second. I, I'm big on backstories, and so I like to give a backstory. Um, the guy who's letting us use the room at the Baptist church, um, he started a graffiti task force, and um, I, I donate money to his church. Not there's, I don't pay for that room. I just donate money to him. You know, you you, you got to sow seeds. You got to honor God, and so that's just one one way we choose to honor God. And 
Um, he uses that money to buy the graffiti removal, and he posts a number, and anybody can call and um, tell a location of the graffiti, and I'll go get it off there. And um, so that's what I was doing. Um, I don't think he knew that was even my tag, you know. Um, but I'm, I'm standing there, and I'm, I'm scrubbing it off, and, and the lady who had made that post and who I had pulled up um, to kind of like say, hey, it's broad daylight, idiot, what are you doing? Um, she didn't realize it was me, uh, but then she, she ended up getting out of the car, and we just had one of those God moments. Um, this was actually a, a young woman that I used to sell meth to, and um, man, it's just a, you know, when you, when you do things like that, you don't do it to be seen. You do it because that's what God wants you to do. You do it because it's the right thing to do. You don't do it for a pat on the back, but to be seen by someone that I used to, um, you know, I, I had a bad influence on her life, and very inconsiderate of her and, and all that stuff. Uh -uh. But to have that same person, you know, years later come see God working in my life um, and have goosebumps on our arms the whole time we're talking, oh my gosh, it's, uh, it's, it's just a blessing. And uh, tell, tell them what she said. <laughs> Which part? About. Uh, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. she, it was a long post. It was a long post. But uh, she. Uh, it was funny, I love how she worded it. She said, man, you went from my dope plug, my, my dope dealer, to my Bible dealer, because I was able to give her some, some Bibles for her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, isn't that awesome? That, that's where I wanted to land, is that only God can turn somebody into the dope dealer and transform his life and turn him into the Bible dealer. <laughs> Cry, baby. <laughs> Yeah. So. <laughs> Only God can do that. And so the, here's, here's the reason I wanted to, to uh, just introduce you to Josh is, um, number one, because he's just got a very, very powerful testimony, but I know his heart is that if God could work like that in his life, then he can work in anybody's life. Amen. That, that Amen. God can do in your life whatever it is that you need done. The things that are beyond your ability to control, the things that you think that you could never have freedom from, that we sang that song earlier, that God really is a prison-shaking Savior. He really is. He's a chain breaker. And so I, I, I just want to land here. Um, first of all, would you help me say thank you to Josh? For coming? <laughs> yeah. Thank you, guys. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So here's, here's what I want to do. Brian, uh, if you just play something. Um, if you're here this morning, if you're watching online, and um, you've never made the decision to surrender your life to Jesus, See, we don't believe that accidents happen. We believe that you're here for a reason, that you tuned in or you showed up today because God wanted you to hear what he has done in Josh's life, and he wants you to know that he can do the same thing in yours. He could do better if he let it. <laughs> His hand is not too short. His, his, his reach uh, is not long enough. I mean, it's always long enough. And his power is always enough. And so here's what we want to do this morning. I'm going to invite you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. And 
If you want to make that same decision that Josh has made, it's the same decision that I made. It's the only reason that I can stand here today is because there was a point in time in my life where I realized that trying to do my own thing was futile. I was miserable, hopeless, and I needed a helper. I needed somebody to do for me what I could not do. And Jesus is the one who came and he said, that my grace is enough, my power is enough, and I will do for you what you can't do for yourself. And so what he did was he actually allowed his body to be hung on a cross and he shed his own blood and he took the penalty of our sins upon himself. He paid the price that we could not pay. And he paved a way that we couldn't pay for ourselves. And this morning his invitation to you is just come to me. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that if you confess your sins, and what that means is just to say, Jesus, I, I can't do this on my own. I've blown it. I've messed up. And I need you. I need a Savior. Then the Word says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not might be, shall be. And so this morning, if you want to take that step of faith, what I want to do is I just want to lead you in a simple prayer that you can just pray in the quietness of your own heart, just as a way, a means of articulating, Jesus, I need you as a Savior. And so I invite you this morning, if you want to, if you want to take that step, nobody's going to force you to do it. It's an invitation to receive a gift. It's not anything that's forced on anybody. But just pray this with me. Jesus, I confess that I need you. I, I confess that I can't do this on my own and I need your help. And so would you forgive me of my sins? Would you save me? Would you do in me what you've done in Josh's life? Help me to live the way that you created me to live. Fill my heart with joy and peace and love. And help me to experience your forgiveness. I give myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen.